chapter 6. That's where we'll be today as we continue in our series in the Gospel of Mark. We come together to worship God, and there's many aspects to that, and in that, really a, a really important aspect of our worship of God is listening to God. We come with thanksgiving, we come to give Him praise, we come to remember how great He is, we come to sing what His Word says, and we come to listen to Him, we come to sit at His feet. Um, it's really amazing, actually, that God has given us this book that contains His very words. Uh, exactly what He wanted to say to us is contained in here, the most important things. It isn't everything that, uh, that perhaps we can know. Um, but every essential thing in terms of relating to God and one another, really what we need for life and salvation is contained here, but not in a way where it's just information. It's not just information. It's not just a manual or an encyclopedia. It's living. And God comes, and as we read His Word, and as His Word is preached, proclaimed in a sermon, even as we sit there perhaps uh, in the morning with a cup of coffee and read His Word, by the Holy Spirit, He speaks to us. And His Word is alive, and it gives us life. So when we come together to hear His Word on a Sunday, it's a worship experience. It's, it's to be an experience of God Himself. And He's given us this wonderful book. Uh, he's given us the Bible. And the Bible is just fantastic. Uh, even if it, this could not be, but even if it were just merely words and stories, it would be a fantastic book just for those reasons. If you look at the Bible and read through the Bible and study the Bible, you'll find that it really is just fantastic literature. The story that's here is, is really an epic drama that I think surpasses the best literature and media that's out there. There's lots of great literature, classic books, and great stories and poetry and movies, things like this that, that speak of epic themes but most of those are, are just stories. This epic story is true and real. And as we're going through the Gospel of Mark, it is just a wonderful example of just what God's Word is like and how fantastic this storyline is. We see in this Gospel of Mark, really, the hero of all heroes, the most epic story there is. God would come and show His glory to us. We're learning as we go through Mark, the intent in this book is to show us Jesus that we might be amazed like so many are in this Gospel story. But not just merely amazed, not just merely in awe of what we see and read about when we really dig down and think about it, but, but through that amazement to put our faith in Jesus, to trust Him and to follow Him as a result of that trust as well. That's what this story is about. And, and I say all this as introduction because I think for many of us, if you've grown up in a Christian or a nominally Christian home, maybe you've heard these stories before, there's a real danger in that. You can be like, well, yeah, I heard that story. Been there, done that. And it just becomes a, another repetition of that old story. And we can take it for granted, yet this story is fantastic. It's amazing. And, and, and it's just full of wonderful Truth that is meant for an amazing impact on our lives. 
God wants you to enter into this story and experience the truth in a way that you're captivated by Jesus, amazed by Him. And you go from this place today with fresh faith to believe Him and follow Him. Not just so that you can sing in church on Sunday, but yet you can go into the workplace and into your neighborhood and, and, and in your various tasks and calls, maybe a, a homemaker, whatever it might be, and follow him in those contexts as well. That's the, that's the intent here. So I'm always challenged as I bring God's word on Sunday because I know that's what God wants, yet I can't make that up. And I can't make you and you can't, we can't hear the word in such a way on our own to make all that happen. We need God. So each week we take time to pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. So let's do that this Sunday. Lord, we thank you for this amazing story about you, Lord Jesus, God in the flesh. And I pray as we go through it today, would you open our eyes to see you in your glory? Would you, Lord, would you, Lord knock us off the place of, of complacency and taking you for granted? Would we have fresh eyes and fresh vantage point of looking at you and seeing who you are. Amaze us through your word. Instill in us faith and a heart to follow. Use me, Lord, in this. How I need you. But Lord, how excited I am to see you work beyond what would be our natural abilities. Would you make yourself known? Would you grant us power to, to receive you and your truth as well, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Please turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and following. By way of introduction, before we read, uh, this, uh, the storyline has been that Jesus sent out the 12 apostles. They've been sent out to go and do what he's already been doing, to go and preach, to proclaim the kingdom of God, that, that God has come to, to reign, to make his reign know, known to all peoples, uh, to bring about that reign. So he, they have been sent out to proclaim that reign and to demonstrate its reality through healing and deliverance from demons and, and other miracles. So they've been sent out. The twelve have been sent out. And then in the meantime, Mark goes into this side story that's sandwiched between this story about the apostles being sent out about the death of John the Baptist. And we learned last week that that is there for a reason. That's there to show, to foreshadow what Jesus is facing and really what all disciples, that's why it's wedged in the story about the disciples, what all disciples face. That to live in Jesus is to die to self and sin and to find our life in him. Uh, and then this latter, the top part of the sandwich is verse 30 where it talks about them coming back. So that's the introduction. Let's read starting in verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. 
And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. God's Word, Mark 6, 30-44. This amazing story, this amazing miracle is actually the only miracle that's in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have this miracle. It's a fantastic miracle that Jesus does. He feeds 5,000 men. Actually, there are women and children there too, so maybe it's 15,000, 10,000, maybe even 20,000. We don't know. It's, it's a large crowd. He feeds them all. This is really an amazing miracle that Jesus performs. But it's not a mere miracle. What I mean by that, it's not just because people were hungry. Not just because uh, he wanted to show his lordship. Those are all important parts of it. But there's truth that he is bringing through this miracle. There's truth that Mark is accenting in the story that God wants us today to hear. He wants us here to know about the truth. And, and just maybe sum that up, it's this, that Jesus is the shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. Jesus is this promised shepherd who comes to feed his sheep. He's the fulfillment of the call, and we are in this to put all our trust in him. So let's go through it, and let's see if, in fact, that's true. That's what I believe it says, but I want to convince you. Let's go through it. We're just going to kind of walk through different aspects of this story. We're going to look at the tired disciples. We're going to look at the desperate crowd. We're going to look at the compassionate shepherd, and then the satisfied flock. And as we go, I believe we will see this wonderful truth. The storyline is the disciples have come back. They've come back from doing this amazing journey, this missionary journey they've gone through. And they've come back and they're reporting to Jesus. He's the one who sent them. So they come back. He's the authority. They come back to report to him what's going on. And, the, and they tell what, what happened. And early on, we, we saw that, that as they went out, they actually did all these things. Uh, they had this amazing experience of proclaiming the kingdom and, and seeing people healed and seeing people delivered from demons. Uh, it was a fantastic time. But they come back to Jesus. They report. And, th- and it's been uh, quite an experience. And they come right back. And they jump right back into the same old ministry pattern that they're in, which is just being pressed by the crowds. It said that, that people were coming and going, that there's just people wanting help all the time, coming and going. They're just inundated with needy people. That's what it is like for them at this point. So they've come back from this probably exhausting missionary journey to be exhausted some more. They didn't even have leisure to eat. That's how busy they were. They didn't even have time to go grab a sandwich or whatever they would eat back then. They were that pressed. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever been at a point in your life where you're just so pressed you can't even do the basics? You can't even get a normal meal? Uh, you, can't, you can't, you know, relax? You're just pressed all the time? 
That's what it was like for these guys. I, 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 haven't, um, I haven't had too many times quite to that degree, but I do remember when I was in college. I was a junior, junior year, college often a very busy year. I was carrying 19 credits, uh, and I was involved with this Christian fellowship, so we were doing a lot of discipleship, growing in Christ, and evangelism. Uh, a lot, and, and I was basically busy from waking up to going to sleep. I was so busy, I didn't have time to do the normal things. And I, I mean, I did... I did brush my teeth and stuff like that in case you're worried that I wasn't brushing my teeth and all that. But the other things I wasn't doing, I didn't have time to do laundry. Uh, and, and so I had, I think it was about, I think it was six weeks of laundry piled up in my closet. Um, maybe it was two weeks. I can't remember. It was a lot of laundry. I just keep on piling it in my closet because I didn't have time to do it. And I had this, uh, I had played soccer with our Christian ministry. And I had played in, in my sweatpants and outfit, and it was really muddy. So I had mud all over my stuff. I took it off, and I threw it in the closet, and it got buried underneath. It was way down below. And when I eventually had time to go back and do my laundry, I pulled out the, the stuff, and, and all the mud had been sitting there the whole time, and the, and the bacteria in the mud actually had eaten, the, <laughs> had eaten my stuff, and it was all bleach. It was polka dot. I had polka dotted white spots all over my sweat stuff because I was just so busy, and I'd never seen anything like that, but I'm, I'm getting off track. That's not the point here. Um, the point is I was just so busy. It was crazy. Um, and there's times in our life like that. That's, that's the background here. Uh, the, the disciples are, they're exhausted. They're, they're just spent. They're so busy. They're so pressed. And so the Lord in his kindness says, let's go away. Let's get away from all this. Let's go off to a Desolate place. Now, desolate for us kind of means, you know, like a God-forsaken place. That's not what it means. It just means a, a rural place. Let's go to a rural place where there aren't people. And, and let's rest. And so Jesus wants to take them away. He wants them to rest. He wants them to be refreshed. And the reality is, is that we're like those disciples as well. We can only do so much. We get weary. We get tired. And that's not a bad thing, all right? That's not a bad thing. We can think, oh, you know, how come I don't have more energy? You're, you're, you're made in the image of God, but you're not God. You're a limited being. You can only do so much. And through the rhythm of life, often there's times we're just exhausted. We hit our limit. That's okay. You shouldn't feel bad about that. And so this picture of the disciples is, is, it functions in a lot of ways, but one of the ways is just for us to understand that we, like them, need rest. Now this is all pointing to the one who actually gives rest, ultimately. It's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to God as the one who gives rest and, and feeds us. Sustenance. Rest and sustenance. Rest and supply come from God. That's the point here. And there are hints in this story that really connect to Psalm 23, Anyone know Psalm 23? One of probably the most popular parts in Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, a lot of us heard that, whether even if we didn't have a Christian background. And this wonderful psalm speaks about the Lord as my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not be in a place where I have lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. All these wonderful images that David is 
putting forward as what God is like, what it's like to know God. He's one. He comes and He gives us this rest. He restores our soul. He brings us to the green pastures. The sheep need to have a quiet place to eat and a safe place beside still waters. Later on in the, this psalm, it, it says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David's just thinking about the fact that God meets his needs. He prepares a table, a place to feast, even in the presence of his enemies. And there are hints in this story that, that God is wanting us to understand the connection between that image of a shepherd and Psalm 23 even itself and this story because Jesus comes to bring rest to the weary here. The disciples are exhausted. They may be thinking, man, we need Psalm 23 to start functioning for us right now. We're pretty spent. In the story, we see people lying down on, on green grass. I think that's not an accident that it's mentioned, the green pastures, the green grass. We see Christ coming and feeding his sheep. That's part of what's going on here. It's pointing us to Jesus as the fulfillment of this shepherd idea that is throughout Scripture. It's, it's throughout Scripture, this idea that God is a shepherd. This is who he is. It's his heart. And we are often like the disciples. We are tired. We are weary. We are worn out. And we're desperate. And that's okay. Maybe you're weary this morning. Maybe you're here and you're desperately weary. Maybe you feel it. Maybe you're in a season where things are just crazy. I know for a lot of moms of young children, that's like life, isn't it? That's life until the kids get older. You just live. You live weariness. And I just want to tell you that the Lord has arranged things that we would go through this passage today, I believe, so that you could hear His answer for you. And you could know that He comes to give rest to the weary. He comes as the shepherd to meet you in your need. The crowd here knew something of this truth. They knew that Jesus was something special. Now, they probably didn't understand that He was the fulfillment of Psalm 23 and this whole image of a shepherd that's throughout Scripture. They probably didn't get all that. But they knew enough that, to know that this guy is special. This guy is unlike anyone else. This guy is a prophet, at least, if not more. And so what do they do when Jesus takes his disciples to go rest somewhere? Do they just say, well, give them some space. Let them go. What do they do in the story? They run after Jesus. They are desperate for him. They know their need. They run after him. And they run along the shore. And they follow the boat. We don't know quite how far. It's not exactly clear where their landing place is. It talks about uh, Bethsaida, which means, uh, which means village, uh, fishing village or house of fish. It just means it, it's, it could have been anything. It could have been a major town. It could have been a small village. Where it's not clear how far they, they went. But the fact is the desperate crowd followed them by running after them. The crowd understood two things. They understood that they were desperately needy. And they understood that Jesus could meet those needs. They understood that they were desperately needy and that Jesus could meet those needs. So they ran. It's good to know how desperately needy you are. And there's something in our nature and something in our culture that says, no, 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 just don't do it that way. You need to put on a good appearance. You need to kind of have a stiff upper lip. That phrase, that old phrase. Have a stiff upper lip. Just you know, keep from whining and crying. Just pretend you're okay. That's not okay. That's not biblical. 
The reality is, is that we are desperately needy like this crowd. Whether we know it or not, whether we like to admit it or not, we are desperately needy. This crowd, they are like a bunch of lost puppies trying to find their mother. They're running together to find Jesus. And the reality is, is we, without God, are also lost puppies. We need Him. We're made by Him and for Him. We cannot do life on our own. So, so forget trying. Forget trying. Stop trying. Stop hiding. Stop trying to convince yourself. Stop trying to find something you're competent in so you can feel good. Because indeed, yes, God gives us grace and there are areas we're competent. I don't mean to diminish that. He gives us lots of gifts and there are some very gifted people in this room. But you are not gifted in all things. Matter of fact, you are not gifted in many things. Matter of fact, I would say you're gifted in few things when you think about the grand scheme of all your needs. You and I cannot be self-sufficient. It's a, it's a lie. The reality is, yes, God has given us grace. He's given us abilities, and we don't want to diminish that, but we are desperately needy for Him. We're just like this crowd that runs after Jesus. We need to recognize we need Jesus and to run after Him. Are you running after Jesus? Are you recognizing your need for Him? If you're not running after Jesus, I think there's only maybe three possibilities about what you're thinking. First, one, you're not honest about yourself. You haven't looked, you haven't inventoried your life. You haven't seen yourself honestly. You're not being honest, perhaps. Or two, maybe you're just not challenged. Maybe you're in a very comfortable point in life and you're not challenged. You're not, you're not maybe taking the next step to give to others in God's name what he would call you to. Maybe you're just taking it easy. That could be true. Nothing wrong with being comfortable. It's not the goal of life, though. For the believer, comfort is in heaven. That's where we find our ultimate comfort. We find our comfort in knowing God now and, and living in those promises. But the goal of life is not comfort. It's to love the Lord, love others by His grace because He's first loved us. So it might be that you're just too comfortable and you're not challenged. Or it could be that, that you, you uh, just don't see it and... and and, uh, and you've just ignored it. I mean, I guess another, another form of just being dishonest, that you just don't think that, that there's any alternative, so you're just dealing with life. You're, you're, maybe you're facing the fact that you're desperate, but there's, you're not doing anything with it. You're just living there. This story is given to us so that we might recognize that we're desperate and, and model the crowd to run after Jesus. So are you desperate for Jesus? Are you being honest and seeing yourself? Are, are you recognizing your need to him and are you running after him? He will not disappoint. He will not disappoint. It's wonderful to watch this story unfold. They run after Jesus. And now the background again is, is that the disciples are tired. They're exhausted. They want to get away. This great crowd comes. And Jesus, when he sees the crowd, you might think he would say, sorry people, we, you know, these guys are really tired and they're exhausted, okay? I mean, we just need a little break here, so we're just going to call, you know, for a break. No more ministry. We're going to go away with these guys. Now, that wouldn't necessarily be bad, but that's not what happens in the story. What does Jesus do? What's Jesus' reaction when he sees the great crowd? He has compassion on them. He looks at the crowd. He looks at their desperate neediness. And I imagine, as God, he sees their weakness and sin. He sees all that's wrong with that crowd too. And what's his response? Compassion. 
He has compassion on them because it says they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are like sheep without a shepherd. They are like sheep that are made to follow a shepherd, to live together in community and following a shepherd. These sheep are like sheep without a shepherd. They're scattered. They're in danger. He has compassion on them. He cares for them. He sees them with different eyes than those disciples see the crowd. How do you think the disciples see the crowd? What's their response? All right, all right I guess we've got to do some more ministry, but please, would you send them away? Their, their response basically, Jesus' response is, come to me. All you who are tired and weary laden, come to me. Their response is, go away from me. Go away. I am, I am tired. I'm done with people. I don't want to be dealing with that. That's, that's their response. They're exhausted. They're at the end. They're at the end of their rope. Yet Jesus' response is, come to me. He's compassionate. He he's, has compassion on them because they're sheep without a shepherd. Now, there's reasons why this is happening. There's things the Lord's doing through all this. But he's showing his disciples, and he's showing the crowd, and ultimately, through this story, he's showing us that he is the faithful good shepherd who has compassion on his sheep, who does not say, go away, but says, come to me. He's demonstrating that. He's demonstrating the fulfillment of all these things. Actually, this phrase that he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd, that's elsewhere in Scripture. That's another theme that is here that resonates through Scripture. The idea of God as the shepherd. The God as the one who cares for sheep. God as the one who has compassion on desperate, needy people. God loves desperate people. God loves it when you come to him needy. When you say, I'm, I'm worn out, God. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of myself. He loves that. He gives grace to the humble. He says, come to me. The one who says, I've got it all together, he opposes, actually. Isn't that amazing? The one who says, I, I'm fine, thanks. Got, got everything together, all set, God. God opposes. But the desperate one, he says, come. Come to me. This is a theme throughout Scripture. This is grounded in who God is. That's good news for us. No matter what we may feel, no matter what we may be going through, God does not change. This is always his orientation to have compassion on the desperate who come to him. And so if that's where you are today, you're in a good place. If that's not where you are today, you're in a bad place. It's better to recognize and live in your desperateness for God and find him. And that's what happens here. Ezekiel 34 talks about this idea of sheep without a shepherd. Just quickly mention that. I think we have it to show. Uh, it's throughout Scripture, but it says in Ezekiel 34, uh, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, speaking of God's people, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all, over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So this is the background. God's people are scattered. They're scattered actually because of their sin and the, the faithlessness of the leaders who were called to be shepherds. And then God says this, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that has been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Who is that servant David? Jesus. Jesus comes to fulfill this scripture. And this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is part of that fulfillment. It's a picture for us that Jesus is the good shepherd who comes 
to feed his sheep. It's interesting, the whole interplay between Jesus and his disciples. I think there are a lot of lessons in here. This is under the section, the compassionate shepherd in your notes. There's a lot of lessons here. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd. He wants to feed his sheep. And his disciples are exhausted. They're at the end of their rope. Yet Jesus stands as God, as the shepherd. He says, come to me. They say, go away. They say, Jesus, it's getting late. You know, we've got an administrative problem here, Jesus. It's getting late, and, you know, we're in a desolate place, so send these guys away to find food. Now, I think there's some ulterior motives in, in their request. Send these guys away because we're just tired. <laughs> send, send them away to find food. Jesus pushes back on them at that moment. He addresses them. says, you feed them. You feed them. Why does he say that? We'll get to that in a minute. What's their response? You feed them. Modern vernacular, are you nuts? There's 15,000 people here. I am so exhausted and tired, I can't do anything, and you're saying feed 15,000 people? Jesus, do you realize? A little math here, okay, so, so many people, one to two dollars a head, that's about 20, $20,000, 200 days wages. Do you want us to like find, just kind of pull it out of our shoe, $200, you know, 200 days wages, 20, here's, Jesus, here's, oh, I happen, forget my $20,000 that I happen to have in my shoe. Are you nuts, Jesus? We can't feed these people. Jesus doesn't say, oh, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. No, he says, what do you have? What do you got? They go and see what they have. Uh, five loaves and two fish. Barely enough just for us. Jesus pushes them for a few reasons. One is I think he wants to show them how desperate they are. They are desperate. They've just come back from a successful mission. They've done some great things. And maybe they're thinking, I got this ministry thing down. I can do this. Wow, this is great. I'm competent. And they would understand themselves as ones called as the apostles, 12 apostles. They would have understood that there was significance in who they were. They were called, ultimately, I don't know if they would have figured this at this point, but that they were called to be under shepherds, under the chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. They are called to be under shepherds who are to care for the sheep. And so Jesus says, you guys, you're under shepherds. You feed them. That's your job. You feed them. You give them what they need. And so he's pushing on them to show that they too are desperate. They too need God. They too need the chief shepherd. They too cannot do ministry successfully without relying on the chief shepherd. Wonderfully important lesson for all of us. Wonderfully important lesson for you if you are presently or in the future to be a pastor. Wonderfully important lesson for you if you are, a, are or are to be a deacon or deaconess. Wonderfully important lesson really for the whole church because we are all called to care for others in Jesus' name. You have people in your life who you're called to care for. Maybe, maybe you are a leader in the church and you have ministry responsibilities. That, this applies to you. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's the people that work. Maybe it's the people in your small group. Maybe it's your neighbors. It is your neighbors. Jesus tells us, right? Love your 
neighbor as yourself. Anyone here have a neighbor? Okay. Jesus is bringing this lesson to his disciples that through this lesson he may speak to us and ultimately point to himself that we would understand that we are called to feed them too. We're called to reach out in his name. And we're called to do this when we're exhausted or when we're just tired of hearing somebody and their problems. You ever get to that point? You're just so tired. That neighbor, I don't want to talk to that neighbor. All they do is talk about themselves. Or my kid, just always whining. When's this ever going to stop? Or this person in my small group who just always seems to be needy. And I just, I don't want to hear it because, not because I don't want to help. I just, I have nothing. I don't have anything. I can't, I don't have the answers. Jesus brings us a story to teach us. You feed them. I can't feed them. Okay? Watch me. Give me what you have. Give me your five loaves and two fish. Give me your measly offering. Give me just your best, which isn't very much. Give it to me. Give it to me and let me take it in my hands. Let me bless it and break it and distribute it and multiply it. Watch me work. Put your faith in me, the chief shepherd. Not in your own ability, not in your own plan. When you're desperate, when you're at the end of your rope in life and these responsibilities you're called to, whatever they might be, You are to recognize your desperateness and turn to Jesus, the chief shepherd. And in him, find the power and the ability to love others in his name. That's the point of Jesus pushing back on his disciples so they would would see that they desperately need Jesus too. And that Jesus is totally faithful to multiply their measly offering. You probably have experienced this reality at some points in your life. I, I have. I often do. I actually just tell you very honestly as a pastor, I feel this every day. I love you guys, and I love what the Lord's doing in and through our church, but I don't, I don't wake up thinking, I got a plan, and this is it. I know I, know I can do it. I, I wake up in the morning thinking, oh, Lord, what have you called me to? I can't do this. And I know even if I threw myself at it with my plan, it would just cause more trouble, more problems than, than help. I feel it all the time, so it's, it's okay to feel that. That's what the story teaches us. But I've also seen the Lord again and again and again multiply my measly offering. I bring the five loaves and two fish, and not even that. I bring some crumbs and something. I say, Lord, this is all I got. And I've watched him multiply and use it. I remember I, I've told this story before. I was at a conference uh, when I was an engineer, and my roommate was a guy from China he was uh, raised as an atheist, and we had some conversations. And he also had a very serious back problem he had told me about. And one evening during the conference, I came back from whatever I was doing, and I saw all his pain medication out on the table. And I looked in, his door was ajar a little bit. It was a suite-type room, and uh, I could see him lying in his bed. And I just, I, I, just, uh, I knew what was happening because I had been telling him about Jesus and that you know, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he's Lord of all. And so, so God's saying, okay, Paul, put your money where your mouth is. Right now, you've got this guy who's got back problems. Trust me to pray for him. I, I kind of knew it, but I, I felt like Jonah at that point. I was like, Lord, I'm just not in the mood right now. I, I, was, I don't know all that was going on, but I was not in the mood to minister in Jesus' name, to talk to him. I think I just wanted to go to bed and go to sleep. and like, oh, please, not now. I don't want to do this thing. I felt worn out. I felt spent. And I, but I thought, okay. Lord, I'll trust you. I'll bring this measly offering. 
to you. And so I asked him, I said, you know, could it, would it be all right if I just prayed for you? Actually, you know, I explained a little bit. Jesus went about praying for people. People were healed. And he calls his, his people to do the same. So I can't promise you anything, but would you let me pray for you? And I just prayed for him. And I said, Lord, would you show yourself? I think his name was Zhao. I can't remember his name. I think it was Zhao. I said, would you just show yourself to Zhao through healing? So I prayed for him, and I, you know, I said, how'd that go? And he's like, oh, that's fine, you know. And he still was in pain, though. He went to bed. I went to bed, and I thought, okay, did my deal. Went to the conference the next day. I, have, I think I was in a session. I came out. I'm hanging out with all my colleagues, and I don't think any of them knew Christ. They're all fine people, but none of them knew Christ. We're together in this group, maybe 10 of us. And, and here comes Zhao right up in the middle of the group and announces to the group, Paul, Paul, I'm all better. I, you know, basically, I've been healed. He was all better because usually his back, when he had it, it was just he was done for you know, a week or more. Uh, and God had touched him and healed him. And it was just wonderful to see. God did this. God, God answered. God multiplied what I had. And, and, and I trust that that was a basis for Zhao. Actually, I had some interactions later. Uh, found out his wife, I believe, is a believer. And I think God used that whole interaction to really show himself to him. I trust that he knows the Lord now. And that's just a picture. One little story, one little vignette. I can't promise you that every time you bring your measly offering, God's going to heal people and, you know, do things like that. But he is going to use us. He is going to multiply our measly offerings in his hand to touch lives. This is his way. And so let us recognize this. Let us get comfortable with our desperateness for Jesus, not just like the crowd, but as we minister in his name. Let us not wait till we have it all together. We feel good to love others in his name. Not, let us not wait until we can give a perfect gospel explanation to somebody with all the biblical theology. Let's not wait for that till where we, when we share. Let's just go with what we have. Maybe it's just simply this. I can't really put it all in words, but this I know. I once was lost, and now I'm found. I once was a sinner on my own way. And Christ came in my life, forgave my sins, and, and, and is leading me. Maybe that's all you got. That's okay. God will use that in your hands as you step forward trusting him. And meet. he will meet others through you. That's what this wonderful story teaches us. So Jesus takes the loaves and the fishes, and he, he blesses them. He distributes them, and they go forward. The bread goes forward. The fish go forward and all these people, whatever it is, 5,000 to 20,000 people, what does it say about them? And they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and they were satisfied. They had all the, it was an all-you-can-eat buffet, basically, went, went on there. And for them in that day, we are so used to having all the food we want. And that day, you, people didn't eat as much. The normal meal was just bread and water. That's your normal meal. They, these guys had a feast. All the fish, all the bread they could want. It was like a, a Thanksgiving meal for them. It was all you can eat. They all ate and all were satisfied. And there were 12 basketfuls left over. What's the significance of the number 12? Well, just the fact that there were 12 guys. And they each had a job to do. They had basketfuls to pick up. Why? Why do you think Jesus gave them the job to pick up the leftovers? So they would remember the lesson. He actually refers to it later on in the gospel story. Do you remember when I fed the 12 baskets that were left over? He's saying, guys, do you remember? I supply. I am the chief shepherd. I am who I say I am. And you can put your trust in him. And these guys are just, I'm sure, astounded by this provision. All, the, all these leftovers they see, they're all fed by Jesus. And they are satisfied. 
Jesus comes as the chief shepherd to satisfy his sheep, all sheep who would come to him, whether they're lost sheep that would return to him or presently belong to him in his flock. He comes as the chief shepherd to feed them. He comes as the chief shepherd to feed you that you might be satisfied in him. In the interaction that he has as recorded in John chapter 6 where it talks about the same miracle. After he does all this, the people follow him. They want to make him king and he has this interaction with them. And he wants them to understand the lesson of the feeding isn't just about having food in your belly. He points them to the fact that there's a deeper hunger than your physical hunger. There's a spiritual hunger we have. And he comes to feed us certainly physically but spiritually. He says this in John chapter 6 to these followers of his. He's trying to clarify the the lesson in this feeding. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Then Then he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him will be for the life. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I love this verse. I shared it with my dad before he died. Jesus is the bread of life. He came not just to feed the 5,000. He came to feed the countless multitude who would come to him in desperateness. He came to give his very body and blood on the cross to, to deal with our spiritual starvation. He came to die for our sins. He came to offer Himself on the cross for our sins. For we are all rebels against God, whether we like to think about it or not, whether we can face that reality or not. It's the truth. We're rebels in our sin. And there's a consequence of that. It's it's eternal separation from God. It's death. God in His compassion for His sheep came in the flesh to give His very life to pay for our sins on the cross to offer His life in exchange for ours, to pay for our sins and then rise again victorious so that through faith in Him, as we turn to Him in our desperateness and say, Jesus, You're my only hope, there could be forgiveness because He died for our sins and rose again for our acceptance before God. He provided this meal, this spiritual meal for us that we might eat and find life. That's the greatest feast that he offers, the feast of his life for ours, that in him we might be forgiven and live as I trust my dad now is living and enjoying in his fullness and his presence. He comes to offer this great feast and this feast will have its fulfillment ultimately on the day we go to be with the Lord. Wonderful verse in Isaiah 25 about this final feast all the tears get wiped away. We are fed. It's an all-you-can-eat feast in the Lord that doesn't end. This is the picture here in this story. And if the band could come up as I close. This is a picture for us. It's a picture for you of the shepherd feeding his sheep, the shepherd coming to feed you. I, one of the things that we love to do as a family uh, over the years is I have spoke at other churches, other places, often they will give a gift, an honorarium we call it, and a wonderful blessing. I don't don't do it for that purpose, but often uh, get to receive that benefit. And one of the things that we would do uh, 
is we would, I would use some of that money to take the kids out to eat, the whole family, out to eat. And so afterwards, we'd just take them out just as a way to remind them of God's blessing, to point them to the fact that, yes, your dad's called to, to work hard and you have to make sacrifices, but there's blessing in it. And so I, we would just have these all-you-can-eat things. And, um, and, and I always enjoyed them. Uh, I enjoyed them because I, I like, I, matter of fact, I liked when we would go to the comfort food places like Cracker Barrel and Golden Corral, uh, another one, that place is dangerous. Um, and I just have these wonderful memories where we would just feast together as a family, spend time together on maybe a Sunday evening or, or Monday with family time, just eating all that we want. And I can just remember, and I still do it, just eating to the point where like my stomach hurt. But just the joy of being together as a family. There's something about feasting together, being satisfied together. That's what it is in Jesus. Jesus has, in a sense, earned this honorarium through his death, his life and his death. And he says, look, I want to take you out to eat. I want to meet your needs. I know you're desperate. I know you're hungry. I know you're tired. Come to me, all you who are weary and have been laden, and I will give you rest. I will feed you. And I invite you to put your faith in me that you might come to this feast that you didn't purchase, but I earned. Come and be part of the family. Eat and be satisfied. That's the point of this story today. Jesus is this good shepherd who feeds his sheep, who feeds you as you put your trust in him. We're going to close in song in a minute, and I just want to, want to call you to respond to the Lord's word. And there's all sorts of ways I trust God is working and speaking, but I think of two groups of people that the Lord wants to address through this. First group are those that are relying on themselves in life or not relying on themselves, but desperate, knowing their desperateness, but not having an answer. So you're either relying on yourself and trying to make it through or you're recognizing your need. And God wants you this morning, to put your trust in Jesus, not in yourself. So whatever that circumstance or circumstances or whatever it might be, God calls you to put your trust in Jesus. So as we sing, I just want to encourage you to do that. Maybe just pray under your breath, Lord, I I trust you. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, you just simply need to, you should just simply express that. Say, Lord, I turn from self-reliance. I turn from sin. I trust in you, Jesus. That's a simple prayer. But as we sing, just, just say that to the Lord. The other group are those that are called to minister like the disciples, and you are just spent. You're worn out. When I was talking about that, you had a specific situation or a person or persons in mind. You were thinking, these are the people that wear me out. This is the situation that wears me out. Jesus wants you, too, to come to him, to put your faith in the good shepherd who feeds his sheep, that he might give you power, that he might multiply your measly offering and use it to bless others. So as we sing, I just encourage you to give that situation to him. Say, Lord, I I don't want to do it, but I'm willing to try again. And I ask that you would multiply what little I have. That would be a way you could pray. Let's stand as we prepare to worship the Lord in song and as we bring to him these prayers.